Welcome to Grandma and Her Gummies, a fun and educational podcast about real-life cannabis stories and lessons for safer cannabis use for everyone. If you're looking for ways to ease pain, inflammation, anxious feelings, or just want to chill and get better sleep, we'll share with you the latest scientific research and tips about cannabis products and innovation, which just might help improve your quality of life. Listen in for the basics about cannabis and walk away with important resources and education. But most of all, have fun and enjoy the cannabis stories. Want to share your cannabis story? Contact us at grandmaandhergummies.com. Hello and welcome, Cannabis Curious listeners. Thanks again for joining us today. I'm Steve with the Cannabis Wellness Group and the host of Grandma and Her Gummies, our educational podcast with real-life cannabis stories about safe and effective cannabis use. And as you know, I like to say it's not about getting high, it's about getting better. Better sleep, better relief, and a better quality of life. And today, we're going to talk about how we can help our veterans do that. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Eric Gobel, founder at Veterans Cannabis Coalition and a veteran himself. In fact, Eric describes himself as a veteran advocate dedicated to ending federal cannabis prohibition. And let me tell you, he is very well suited to make this happen. First of all, Eric was part of the U.S. Army First Special Forces Group. Okay, so that's the badass badge right there. Uh, But listen to this, even more so, he has experience in the U.S. Senate and the House of Representatives and at organizations such as the Center for American Progress, and he was the assistant director of national security for the American Legion. So this all led to his becoming the founder and CEO of the Veterans Cannabis Coalition. Wow, super qualified. Thank you, Eric, for all that you've become (laughs) and all that you're doing. You know, before we jump into the details, um, can you please tell the listeners maybe a little bit more about yourself that I didn't cover? Sure, that was uh, pretty comprehensive, I would say. That that covers a good uh, 15, 20 years right there. so, yes, uh, my name is Eric Opel, founder of Vet- Veterans Cannabis Coalition. I'm an Army veteran myself. I served for seven years, including two tours in Iraq. I just want to clarify, though, that while I served in the U.S. First Special Forces Group, I am not a Green Beret myself. I did communications and intelligence support within the unit for about six years. So that being said, you know, after the service, I did some time as a defense contractor, ended up in D.C. through a program called Hill Vets that helps veterans find placements in offices on Capitol Hill, which led to my being my being made a legislative fellow in Senator Gillibrand's office. And then mm-hmm. following that, ended up uh, working for the American Legion. And in that position was working on policies around, uh, in particular, the opioid crisis. And that was, I would say, one of the bigger lead-ins to the work that I do with, with Veterans Cannabis Coalition as well. We met through our connection and my work and your help and work with the Council for Federal Cannabis Regulation. Tell us a little bit, uh, you know, the mission for Veterans Cannabis Coalition and why it's important. Veteran health in general is complex, but one of the things that, or one of the trends that has been continuous over the last several decades is that veterans die from basically all causes at significantly higher rates than their non-veteran peers whether you're talking about cancer or heart disease or causes like uh, suicide and overdose. Across the board, no matter what category you're looking at it, even when you adjust for age, veterans are just dying at higher rates from preventable causes. And in particular, what I was looking at in my time at the Legion was, you know, the role that opioids, you know, were playing in early death. 
and what I found is it's a lot more complex than just opioids bad, right? Tell us yep. maybe maybe just give a sense of the size and the demographics of the veteran population in the U.S. You did that for me, and I think it's really sure. important for the listeners to get a sense of it. So today there's about 18 million living veterans across all generations going back to World War II, of which the youngest World War II vets are now in their earlier mid-90s. So it's 18 million uh, person population encompassing at least five generations. Every you know orientation, gender, or you know racial, ethnic demographic is all contained within the veteran pop within the veteran population as a whole. Although it is predominantly older, more white, and uh, more male, mm-hmm. and that is a reflection of basically when we you know set when we drafted the vast majority of people who ended up serving, like in Vietnam. On a population level, there are already issues that veterans deal with that are in parallel with folks like seniors, for example, right? There's not, you know, half of all veterans over the age of 65, you know, 75% of veterans are over the age of 50. So it is an older population across the board. And that group, you know, tends to have medical issues that have developed over the course of their lives. And of course, in veterans, it's just more acute, right? So it's not, not unique necessarily that veterans are you know, taking, you know, fistfuls of pills a day, because that is unfortunately uh, the lived reality of a lot of seniors too, who never served in the military. But how folks react to those drugs and, you know, what their, what their experience with those drugs and what they choose to do, given the option and education around cannabis, I think, or there's a good parallel there in terms of, you know, veterans are dealing with severe and complex conditions. We have tried a lot of traditional therapies. We have access to modern pharmaceutical drugs, you know, at scale. And yet, Despite all that, we are still dying at, at far higher rates than our peers. And yet, you know, veterans at risk of criminalization and stigma are choosing cannabis as an alternative and finding, you know, great relief in many cases. You know, you had mentioned about opioid earlier, and, and it's an interesting and, and unfortunate scenario where opioids have been prescribed and perhaps overprescribed. But there's kind of this mark condition where people are now avoiding opioids and they're looking it's creating a dire situation. Maybe talk a little bit about what the latest is and what's happening in the vet community. Right. So the the national opioid crisis, as it is, uh, has already gone through several phases. You know, we could think of you know uh, starting in like the mid early nineties, the 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 rise in prescription opioids. You know, hydromorphone, hydrocodone, oxy, you know, oxycodone, Percocet. You know, these types of drugs, but known dose. Uh, known purity pharmaceutical grade drugs. That was what was available, and that was that was available on the legal side. On the illicit side, you had heroin. Now all there is is fentanyl, and now not just fentanyl, but fentanyl cut with additional drugs that people aren't aren't asking for or you know or wanting, like benzodiazepines for tranquilizers. So this is, in a nutshell, and then we've seen this very you know clearly in the last twenty years. What happens when you do when you you know, what happens when the government goes in the enforcement route with prohibition and tries to crack down on the supply side without addressing demand? Um, you have, you know, skyrocketing overdose deaths and, and the large and the single or in the most recorded overdose deaths in history uh, just in the last year. In the last year. Yeah. So, I mean, such a such a dangerous situation. And, you know, it's really so unfortunate because one of the other real dangers I find is the illegality of cannabis. I mean, the fact that we can't do the research, the fact that it can't be prescribed everywhere, particularly to someone like a veteran with uncontrollable pain. I mean, that's just another danger. But the danger of what's out there, their choices, uh, it's driving these, you know, overdoses, 
right? And and also, I mean, I think suicide rates are also quite significantly higher in the veteran community because of this and because of the pain. Is that is that accurate? Right. So uh, you, you've got a pretty complex dynamic here, but what is what essentially the research bears out is that people with uncontrolled pain, to your point, basically give you know it, over enough time will try to will try to kill themselves, and that's just how it is. I, I again, I, I don't, I can't imagine. It should not be hard for people to grasp. Just like, hey, imagine living in constant agonizing pain. How long do you think you could last like that before you, you know, do something drastic? Whether it's take your own life or go into the illicit market and try to find opioids, you know, to that that will be effective in easing your pain. What a scenario it creates, and there's even more comp- complications due to the illegality of medical cannabis. A lot of me- a lot of vets are finding relief right. and improving their quality of life with with cannabis and or medical cannabis but tell tell the listeners a little bit about why it's hard to get a prescription right so since federal since cannabis is a federally controlled substance schedule one still there is no recognized medical use there is no way for any doctor in this country to prescribe it right how do you prescribe a plant you can't right what they can do is they you know the doctors who are willing to do so some some in the va you know, but often, but you know, that's as much as they can do. They can talk to a patient about cannabis, but then again, what do the doctors really know? Because they don't study cannabis. They don't study. Very rarely do they even study the endocannabinoid system. Right? right. So, so are you saying, just to recap a little bit for the listeners, that the VA is kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because of the federal prohibition, right? Um, or, or are they are they bucking that and doing anything more? It sounds like they there's only so much they can do, or I mean, I would say they're institutionally opposed cannabis research, cannabis reform in general. So, I mean, it wouldn't be, it's not the, it wouldn't be the easiest agency to get on to the right side of this issue uh, to begin with. But it's basically impossible with federal prohibition in place because that's always going to be either the excuse or the reason that they give as to why they can't do more. The reality, of course, is not is very is different. You know, there's nothing really stopping the VA from doing robust cannabis or cannabinoid research. You just have to go through additional steps. And honestly, with cannabinoids, there's already FDA-approved versions of THC and CBD available that they could be using on, you know, in clinical trials right now. They're just choosing not to. Right. And I know that you're part of your mission, and we've talked about this. What a population! I mean, you've got an incredible population right there that could participate in some of these double-blind, randomized, controlled studies. So here we go. We've got. They can't really get the prescription opioids. They're looking for something that's safer as an alternative to the to the fentanyl that's on the market. That's you know dangerous the way it's uh, synthesized and, and brought forward if it's not prescribed. And they're finding cannabis, whether it's medical cannabis or recreational cannabis, in in wherever state they're living in. Well, as Dennis Prone would say, all cannabis use is medical use. That's right. Because it's like the molecules don't care, right? <laughs> they, they they don't they're not really interested in your intent. As to why you're using CBD or THC, they're just going to have the effects they're going to have on you. That's one of the things that I like about cannabis is that even if you don't agree, you know, if you don't believe in the medical benefits, fine, right? But what you can see is that people will substitute cannabis for other, what I would consider far more risky substances. So that's not to say, again, not demonizing opioids. Opioids have thousands of years of human use and are very good at, at controlling certain types of pain. The danger with opioids lies in its ability to depress your breathing, which can create a fatal overdose if you mm-hmm. consume too much of it, mm-hmm. as well as chronic use of opioids, which also come with other health issues. So when you're looking for a chronic pain reliever, 
what did you have? You used to have opioids. Now you have gabapentin or Lyrica. Those have come into the system and are often prescribed to vets as an alternative to opioids alongside stuff like non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like, uh, you know, ibuprofen. Mm -hmm. So they are trying to, they are still trying to control the pain. They're just using the least effective options available to them, but they're the, right. but they're the only legal options left to prescribers because you can't yeah. prescribe opioids because the DEA is going to, you know, come after you uh, or your, or your health net or your health network is going to, you know, pharmacy benefits manager or somebody up the, up the stream is going to restrict your ability to do so. So there's a unique law in California called, and I just mentioned uh, the name Dennis Perone. Dennis Perone is considered one of the pioneers of medical cannabis um, legalization in 2018, excuse me, 2019. A bill named after him and another pioneer, Brownie Mary. The Dennis Brown and Brownie Mary Act was passed by the California legislature, signed into law by the governor. And that, in turn, established a unique condition in California, or a unique set of circumstances in California, where licensed operators, cannabis operators, can donate cannabis products to patients at no cost to either party. So the uh -huh. operator doesn't have to pay any taxes associated with, with a sale, because there is no sale. And the patient doesn't have to pay any money, because it's a donation. And it's all legal product that is compliant with every, with all the laws in place because everything has to go through the same track and trace system. But at the end, the patient gets a bag of cannabis products for free. So under the auspices of that law, cannabis operators and nonprofits in California to establish donation and education programs aimed at veterans. And the goal of this is to provide education and access. It's pretty straightforward. Very basic information is so important. We think in the industry, those of us that have been there and have the knowledge, we think everyone may have that. And so we really try to start at the basics. It sounds like with this law, not only do they get the vets get access, free access to a variety of different cannabis products, but then I think you mentioned like there's peer support groups as well. When they go to pick it up, they can talk about it. They can talk how it's helping. Maybe they get some education. Is is that part of the program as well? Yes. Yeah, so we run a couple of different formats. One, um, which is more of a straightforward veterans go to a dispensary, register, receive their donation. And one of my great colleagues and also a uh, fellow LA Normal board member, Shelly McKay, who is a co-owner of Cannabis Works. Um, she, you know, she will sit down with small groups of veterans, you know, over the course of a two-day period when they're running their donation and explain what's in the bag, answer any questions, you know, substitute products for for things that the that the patient might be more inclined to use as well. Mm -hmm. Then we have a separate sort of uh, format or style of, of donation where we will work with a local veteran nonprofit who has a physical location, use a delivery service to you know transfer the the donation to the to that location have patients there signed for it and then we are able to run an event in a private private space so we're able to uh, offer patients you know safe consumption peer support in terms of go around the table share share what's on your mind you know what you know challenges and successes uh, kind of thing which again it, it's you know we talk about like oh you know what are we gonna what are we doing to prevent veteran suicide well providing alternatives uh, to opioids, providing a substitute for alcohol, tobacco, and other illicit drugs that carry, you know, incredible, you know, suicide and overdose risk attached to them, pharmaceutical drugs as well, mm -hmm. uh, providing peer support and a, and a chance for people to be a part of a community and feel like they're not alone and understand they're not alone. And more importantly, have, have it available on a consistent basis. Because that's also one of the biggest challenges is just trying to do all of these donation programs, education programs on a consistent schedule 
And so it becomes something that people can look forward to and also rely on. You know, and it's all done pro bono. No one's getting paid for any of this. Uh, the industry is not, no one in the industry is getting compensated for their time or, or their or the donations they're making. They just don't have to pay taxes on it. And no one on the nonprofit side, including myself, uh, are, are, you know, paid to do any of this. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so on one hand, we, we can be like, well, you know, it'd be great if, we, if it was, there was more infrastructure and everything else. On the other we should be able to take some pride in the fact that over the last three years, this law has been in effect. I'd estimate we help distribute uh, and disperse at least $4 million worth of free cannabis products across the state. So at least 600 active patients over the last uh, three years now. So we can see the progress, but you know, this is, it's charity. Charity is a Band-Aid. The only way that this moves forward, I think, in a real way or becomes something that, it, that can be really helpful to people is if the state basically takes takes an interest and acknowledges that this is something that would be massively beneficial to public health. You can't just talk about like buy legal, right? Like you have to actually talk about what cannabis is at some point. <laughs> <laughs> the state recognizes it as a medicine, but it never actually talks about it like it's a medicine. It doesn't treat the industry like they're producing medicine, certainly. I applaud California and for everyone that's involved in this because just to start with a law that allows this is a great example that hopefully other states can follow until we get to a point where it is federally legal and there is a structured program in place, you know? Um, that last point you you made, Eric, about the peer support where they can sit around and talk to each other. And that's so important on so many levels. Again, another mission for, for our podcast and our listeners and Graham Intergummies is to talk about real life stories about how cannabis has improved people's quality of life. A great example is someone that I've been working with at a local veteran nonprofit who, when I met him, he was using a walker to assist his his mobility, you know, not in particularly great health, not feeling super upbeat, you know, necessarily about life in general. And over the course of months, you know, going back to these events, you know, seeing, you know, just checking in, seeing how people are doing, you know, he experienced a, a pretty, pretty significant change. He lost weight, his arthritic neuropathic pain was well managed, which enabled him to ditch the walker. Mm. The last time I saw him, and it's been a, been some months, so you know, th- things change, but obviously he was on a he was on a good path. He and you know, again, up, you know, the last time I saw him, upbeat excited about his his own transformation and definitely invested in continuing to try to help others. Heck yeah, going from a walker to no walker. I mean, that's great. And that's that you would attribute that to his use of medical cannabis. I would say medical cannabis was an important tool in that. Con- consuming THC or CBD is not going to magically fix you, right? But it, what it can do in this case, as it in his case, as it with many other veterans, is that it enabled a return to a level, to a certain quality of life and a certain level of activity that he was then able to do other things that he enjoyed, right? He didn't feel, you know, disabled. You know, he didn't feel like he was unable to do things that other that you know normally would bring him joy. And th- so that that's always an important part, um, especially with the veteran experience that I've seen, is that it's the, it's an enabling tool. Yep. A couple of points that I heard. One is that you know cannabis is one part of many things that can bring people's quality of life back diet, exercise, and it helps both physically and 
uh, emotionally and mentally, right? He started to get his confidence right. back. Let's say he got his groove back, right? With no walk. Right. And that, you know, cannabis, whether it's THC, CBD, uh, you know, a, a combination of products is not a cure-all, but it is definitely a really important component for these people, whether you're part of the veteran population or a general population. That's that's kind of what we're seeing. The efficacy of cannabis as it applies to some of the most common conditions that people in this country experience or just people humans experience chronic pain, poor sleep, you know, anxiety, depression, things like that. Like, okay, you know, there's, <laughs> we've spent hundreds of billions of dollars trying to develop drugs to do, you know, to manage all of those conditions. And what we found is that while they might be effective in some cases, or maybe on an acute basis, they generally come with a ton of unintended or unwanted side effects with chronic use. You know, it's not like these drugs are bad, but it's like if we're trying, if you're trying to find something that someone can take on a regular basis, that's not going to create a bunch of other things that they're going to have to deal with, like antidepressants and uh, associated with, uh, let's say, weight gain, for example, for the trade off of, you know, weight gain and, uh, you know, flat affect. I like, yeah, that doesn't seem like a like a good, a good exchange by any by any by any stretch. Right. And I think that's what we, you and I have heard and those of us in the industry and what I, we want to share with, with the listeners is that, you know, cannabis can be an adjunct to therapy. Medical cannabis can be an, a, a safer alternative for certain conditions, like you mentioned, chronic pain, sleep, anxiety, with a very safe profile, meaning very few adverse effects. Now, I always say that I'm not a doctor and you're not a doctor, correct? Nor am I, Yes. So I really want to advise anyone who's thinking about incorporating cannabis, medical cannabis or any cannabis, whether it's hemp derived or um, THC from the plant to talk to your doctors, talk to your healthcare providers and definitely incorporate this into your health and wellness journey. So I just want to make sure that everyone's aware about what we're talking about. These are you and I talking about it, but they should really go and incorporate this into their healthcare decision and discussions. My biggest concern is is drug drug interactions, especially with you know older older veterans and seniors in general. Yes, right. Yes, You're yes. taking blood thinners, you know, heart pressure medication, things like that, right? T well, hey, you know, gotta be careful because THC can raise your heart, you know, raise your blood pressure and your heart rate. So you know, if you take a you know take too much THC um, and you're already you know have those preconditions, well, you know, you might be you might be in for a bad time. And you know what, Eric, we at the Cannabis Wellness Group and Graminer Gummies, we have some resources for people that they want to go to our website. And there are a bunch of different websites that we also recommend. So when Great. we tell people to do the research, what we want to do is make sure we give them things like, here are the questions you should ask your doctor. Here's what to look for when you go shopping at a dispensary online for a cannabis product. Or one of the more popular things in season one was, what's the difference between THC and CBD? And what we're talking about is very simple term, not scientific, THC is the too high compound. You take too much of it, it'll get you real high, it'll raise your heart rate, it'll get you a little paranoid. So do that in lower proportions to CBD, which we like to say, again, non-scientifically, it's the clear benefits derived compound. So CBD is the one that what we're seeing out there is more medicinal, and it's the thing that helps with the inflammation. What, what we also like to recommend is the combination. So low elements of THC with some high more dominant CBD is really what we're seeing out there that's very medicinal. But everyone should try to find the best balance for themselves. You said it earlier, it doesn't affect everyone the same. 
So there's a lot of guides as well. And I just want to point everyone to, to the website and to our show notes for today, where we'll, we'll point you there so you can get the research as well as some key questions to ask. So Eric, what, uh, any, are there any words of wisdom or any, anything that you'd like to have listeners know about how they might be able to support you? I think the biggest thing that anyone can do in any voter can do in this country is pay attention to what your individual member of Congress or your two senators at the federal level are doing about cannabis. Chances are they're not doing anything uh, because there are very few active members of Congress in this issue. This is in spite of the fact that this easily the most popular political issue of the day, cannabis legalization and medical cannabis access, both individually and, and, and uh, together. So there are people like you and myself and others that are really trying to push at a higher level the federal regulation, descheduling or rescheduling. And what we want you listeners to do is identify your senators, identify your congresspeople that you can influence and ask them to also support it. I think that's a really good lesson because it really takes all of us from the grassroots to those that have, those of us that are organized more at a federal level. And, uh, and if they wanted to go to your to your website, can you just remind us what that is? Sure. It's veteranscannacoalition.org. Veteranscannacoalition.org. Excellent. Well, uh, you know, this is such an important topic, not only for, for veterans. I think everybody knows a veteran or knows somebody who knows a veteran, and, but generally for the entire population that are probably experiencing similar situations like that. When I first got started advocating on this issue in D.C. back in 2018, one of the early conversations I had was with a staffer from then-Senator Orrin Hatch, senior senator of Utah, Mormon, very conservative, older gentleman. In that conversation, I was trying to figure out why Hatch was, was one of the only Republicans on cannabis research at the time. It's like, why is this guy on this issue when it's definitely not in his wheelhouse and you know far more moderate? Uh, Republicans won't, you know, wouldn't even touch it. Well, it turned out he had a personal story in his circle of someone who had used, and I wasn't clear whether it was THC or CBD or some combination, but had used cannabis in some way uh, as an adjunct to help them fight cancer and had a really positive experience with that. And I think had um, either survived or, you know, to, to remission or had regained a, a great quality of life. Uh, so, that in that personal experience was shared to me shared uh, to me by a staffer as an as an explanation for why Hatch was even on this bill, and I thought to myself, well, okay, you know, if a personal story can seemingly influence one of the most conservative senators <laughs> in Congress at the time right. on an issue that has no clear uh, you know intersection with any of the other things that he theoretically cares about, that should say something. Um, so I mean, it, it's so that that's a good good example of you, you're not. It's never clear what the thing is that's going to tip the balance, tip mm. the scale. Mm. Uh, so you know, we we feel inclined to try to do everything, but the reality is that these are all people, staff, members of Congress, you know, lobbyists, donors, <laughs> all these people that have influence over over you know the the, the shape of federal legaliz or federal legislation. They all, they, they're all human and they respond to a lot of the same, you know, emotional pleas and things like that. So if you can make that, if you, if you have the, if patients have a story to share, please share it, make it personal. Right. And, you know, the, the less generic you can, it can be, the more chance it's actually going to cut through uh, a lot of the noise um, around the issue. So. 
So true. Well said. Yeah, I find that on many issues. If there's a personal experience, whether it's your own or someone close to you, we're definitely much more invested. So let's let's yep. influence the influencers. Well, thanks for sharing that story. That's important and powerful. So thank you again, Eric, for you know joining us today, sharing your knowledge. Oh, my pleasure, Steve. And everything that you're doing to make a difference. Well, you know, it's uh it's a it's definitely a team effort uh, across the board here. So happy to participate and always happy to uh, to help try to educate. Yep. Thanks so much. Well, to you and all of our cannabis curious listeners, I wish you peace and good cannabis wellness. Thanks for listening to Grandma and Her Gummies. If you like what you heard, the best thing you can do is share this episode with your friends and family. And be sure to follow and review us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in. To learn more about resources and products for safe and effective cannabis use or to share your cannabis story, visit our website at grandmaandhergummies.com.